You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Today is week two of our teaching series through the letter to the Ephesians. I am so excited for how God is going to use this Bible book in the life of our church. Last week, I was able to attend an online streaming event to equip church leaders put on by Exponential. And I heard a term in one of the sessions that I had never heard before. In fact, I started paying attention a little bit too late and I had to to Google it and look it up. But it was a term that I think will help us uh, think better about the time in which we live today. And it was the term liminal space. If you've never heard of liminal space, the word liminal comes from the Latin limens, which means uh, threshold. And a liminal space, here's my definition, is the transition period between what was and what's next. It's a transition period between what was and what's next. And so in architecture and design, uh, you might refer to a hallway that goes from two dissimilar places as a liminal space. Uh, you're going you know, in an athletic complex from a gymnasium to a pool. It's a liminal space, the in-between period. But for us, maybe it's more helpful to think about the temporal element and, or the time about transitions. And so uh, maybe you've been in a school classroom over summer break. Have you ever had that experience where you're used to seeing the classroom full of kids and laughter and noise and light and a teacher and all of this activity, and then all of a sudden you're in this space you recognize, but it's just empty. Uh, it's dark. Maybe the chairs are and desks are stacked, and it's a liminal space because it is a transition between one school year and the next. Or maybe you've been in a coffee shop or a restaurant after hours, and they're starting to, to shut the lights off and stack the tables and wipe things down. And, and there's this odd feeling you get. You feel out of place. Or maybe for you, you've been to our church building after hours. And for me, I'm pretty used to seeing an empty church building throughout the week or being here and having all the lights off. But for a lot of people, you know, you're used to seeing uh, the church filled with people and hearing songs and all of this sort of stuff. And you show up after hours and you're like, something's not right here. That's a liminal space. And those are places that are really uncomfortable to be in. And the reason why I think that's helpful is it gives us language for what the year 2021 actually is. So 2020 was the year of the pandemic. It was the year of COVID, the year of shutdown, the year of all these negative things. And in 2021, as much as we would like to say all of that's in the past and all of that's over, the reality is we're in this transition period. 2021 is a liminal year. It's a year that we are transitioning between what was And what's next? And the future uh, really remains to be seen exactly what, you know, the new normal that everyone keeps talking about actually is. Theologically speaking, the, the days between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that's a liminal space where the disciples are waiting and they feel defeated. And for us in our lives, we, we live in this liminal space. And uh, the reason I bring that up is not only to give us language to process and to identify where we're at right now in our lives, but really because the text we're talking about today from Ephesians 1 really speaks blessing over our lives. 
And if we're going to receive that blessing and live into that blessing from God, we need to be honest about how we feel. So I want to ask you this question to seriously consider. Do you feel blessed in your life right now, in the liminal space of 2021, in the financial hardship, in the relational difficulties, in you know, your workplace and how difficult things are, in, in all of the, the different ways that there's just underlying stress and anxiety and worry in your life, do you feel blessed? The reality is in a liminal space, we don't often feel blessed. We feel unsettled, uneasy. We feel weird. We feel anxious. And we just want to get out of that transition period and get back to something stable. And yet, even in liminal spaces, even in transitions, the reality is we are blessed in Christ Jesus. And so that's really my prayer for you today, is that as we look at God's Word, as we really sink deeper and deeper into Ephesians chapter 1, that you would experience more blessings from Christ, and that each of us would even feel more blessed as a result of our time together today. So we're going to be starting off in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So blessing, 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 over and over that word blessed shows up. A few things before we uh, go through and really look at and gaze at the beauty of our blessings in Christ. We're going to be, if you're taking notes, we're going to be listing off seven seven different blessings that we're going to see throughout our teaching text today. So you can go ahead and write a list, one to seven. But before we get to our seven blessings that we see in our text, uh, a few notes about the text, because I understand uh, there's some of these kind of theologically loaded words here, like election, predestination, and grace. And there's been so many debates throughout church history about you know, what that means for us to be you know, elected or predestined. And so really, in order to understand that a little bit better, I would just say this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which is our text for today, is a doxology, not a debate. It's a doxology, not a debate. Paul is not sitting in prison writing a letter to the church in Ephesus thinking, oh, they're going to have a tough time with this one. I hope they get into arguments about this one. I hope this causes a church split, right? That's the opposite. In fact, you could say the reason he's writing this is actually to create unity within the church. It's not a debate. It's a doxology. And a doxology is really a song, a song of praise specifically to God. And that's really what Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is. It's actually, in Greek, one long sentence. Uh, In your Bible, it might be seven or eight sentences. The NLT actually has split up this segment of Scripture into 15 sentences. And so it's safe to say that The Apostle Paul would have failed his high school English class, but he would have uh, passed with an A-plus in Greek because it's phenomenal Greek, but it's really difficult English to have this huge run-on sentence. But the reason it's all one sentence is it's really just a lyric to a song. It's a doxology. Uh, It's like the idea of a sunset. 
You know, a sunset is so beautiful. And you can actually ruin the beauty by overanalyzing it and studying it. And even maybe, you know, it's a silly analogy, but arguing about the sunset. That sunset's so beautiful and purple. No, it's not purple, it's light blue or, you know, whatever, right? You can, you can ruin the beauty of something by analyzing it and dissecting it and breaking it apart and arguing about it. Or you can just sit there and you can gaze at the sunset and you can enjoy the beauty and you can allow that beauty to sink deep within your soul and to overflow with praise towards God. And that's really what Paul's goal is for these verses today, that we would really see our blessings in Christ. Another note in helping us interpret these difficult words uh, that, that have caused so much debate is that Paul's influences are Adam, Abraham, and Moses, not Augustine, Calvin, and Luther. And all that to say is, is Adam, Abraham, and Moses are, you know, they're the fathers of faith in the Old Testament, right? They're these patriarchs. They're these, they're these you know, great leaders of faith. God made covenants with them. And yet, often how we tend to read Scripture is not in light of the Old Testament and in light of really what Paul would have been thinking about. You know, he's deeply studied in the Torah. He had most of the Old Testament memorized, right? So he, he, he had this deep and rich Old Testament theology. We tend to read New Testament letters through the church fathers, through the, the, those great theologians throughout history. Not that their writings are not significant or important or helpful, but they weren't even alive when Paul wrote these words. So it's, it, it's more important for us when trying to interpret these words afresh to, to not think, well, this is what Augustine, or this is what Calvin, or this is what Luther says about those words, and I'm going to go with those guys, to just get in Paul's shoes a little bit and say, when Paul is thinking about being God's chosen people, he's likely thinking about how the Israelites first were God's chosen people. And if you wanted to be a part of God's chosen family, his covenant family, you, like Rahab, who was an outsider, could join the Israelites, and you would be God's chosen people. Or, like so many other people, like let's just say King Ahab, right? Choosing Jezebel over God and choosing Baal and, and pagan idol worship over God. You could, if you were in that family, you could choose to say, no, I don't want to be a part of God's covenant family. I'm going to break that covenant, right? And so, and so it's important for us to, to really think about the terms that Paul is using in light of Old Testament theology. That's why it's important for us to know the Old Testament well, because we read, if you want to read the New Testament well, we have to read it in light of the Old Testament. Another quick note on this is all of the yous, all of the, the second person pronouns are plural in Ephesians, every single one of them. So what that means is whenever Paul says you were adopted or you were chosen, he's really saying y'all, you all were chosen. And so we kind of read this oftentimes in our American mindset of me individually. I was chosen and my neighbor wasn't chosen. But he's really talking about you as everyone who is in Christ has been chosen. So hopefully that helps, you know, reframe the conversation a little bit. And I know that doesn't settle every debate or answer every question out there, but hopefully it just allows us to take a step back and unlearn a little bit of what we know so that we can read these words and hear these words fresh. Here's the main point that Paul is saying to us. We are blessed in Christ. We are blessed in Christ, whether you feel it or not. 
We are blessed in Christ. And we're not just a little bit blessed. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That word spiritual, not just meaning immaterial, like God doesn't bless us in our, in our physical lives, but it, it's spiritual in the sense that God blesses us from his very spirit, from, from, his, from, from the very heart of God. We are blessed in every way. And, and it's not just, you know, like the culture uses blessed, because you might see the hashtag, you know, hashtag blessed, you know, you get a new, you, you get a, a, a Starbucks Frappuccino, hashtag blessed. You get a good parking spot at the grocery store. Hashtag blessed, right? Prayer hand emoji. Maybe throw up a prayer hand emoji. Uh, and that's really how our culture uses the word blessed. It's almost been cheapened in a way. And yet the, the way that we are blessed is you could say we are abundantly blessed, extremely blessed, profoundly blessed in Christ, whether you always see it or feel it or not. It's just true. It's the way that things are in Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're not going to talk about every spiritual blessing. We're just going to talk about seven. So here's the first blessing that we see here. We are chosen. That means we are not an afterthought. This was the plan all along, right? I know that's, that's, that's a hot button word to be chosen or elected, but really we are, God wants us for his team. This is not an afterthought. It's not like, okay, I guess I'll save mankind. That God actually, before the foundation of the world, had a plan. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that we would all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And yet he created the world anyway. He created you anyway. And he loves you. And he chose you. And he wants you to be on his team. It's not like, you know, the elementary school recess. And I had this experience. Maybe you had it too where you wanted to play dodgeball or you wanted to play soccer and they lined up all the kids and it's almost like a cruel punishment. I'm not even sure they're allowed to do this in schools anymore. Uh, but they would line them all up and they would pick teams and you did not want to be the kid that was picked last. And I know there was times where I got picked last or maybe even if it was bad enough, there was an odd number of kids. And so they would pick teams, pick teams, and there was one left. And what did they say to that one kid they said oh sorry you know we already have even teams you're gonna have to sit out or or find someone else to play we don't have that experience in Christ Jesus we are chosen God picks us first he wants us to be in on his team and in his family we are blessed and maybe if you felt rejected in your life from people then you can rest assured and be confident that you are accepted by God in Christ Jesus the second blessing is we are adopted we are familified by grace through faith. We are not just justified by grace through faith, as we'll see in Ephesians 2. We are made right with God by grace through faith. But we're familified. We are brought into a family. That's what we are predestined for. For us to be predestined mean, means that God decided that a long time ago. He already knew that he was going to adopt us, right? He's on his way to the orphanage, and he's like, I'm going to adopt them. I, I want them to be a part of my family. And so when, when we become uh, in Christ, we are not just united with Christ. We are not just united with God. We are united with other Christians. We have brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, my mom actually was adopted. A lot of people don't know that, but she was adopted into a great uh, family and uh, she was raised. And, and the, the house that my parents live in today is her inheritance. It's the house that her father left to her in his will. And for us, I think that's a beautiful picture of what it means to, to be blessed with adoption into God's family is Jesus said, I am going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That, that we have an inheritance, 
that we are not just, you know, kind of welcomed in. We're not just dinner guests in God's house. We are full-fledged members of the family, and we have an inheritance, and, and he has gone before us to prepare a place for us on the new heavens and the new earth, and that's a wonderful blessing that we have in Christ. The third blessing we see is we have grace. A great definition of grace is God surprisingly accepts us. I love that word surprisingly because it doesn't make any sense. And if you or I were in charge, we might not accept, you know, people who had wronged us and sinned against us. I think, think about that. The all-powerful God of the universe creates mankind, you know, blesses them with, with a home, and then they reject him. They, they redefine good and evil for themselves. They try to be their own gods. And yet, God surprisingly still pursues us and he loves us, and he wants us. It's this idea that we didn't earn it, and we don't deserve it, and yet God wants to save us anyways. He's running after us. He's, you know, the father welcoming the prodigal son home. And for you, I would just say that to you. It's it's difficult for us to even understand or fathom the grace that God has for us, but it's just true to his nature. It's one of the most supernatural things about God is that he accepts us even when we wrong him. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. And so you never have to worry if God has enough grace to still welcome you home when you repent and you turn back to him. Those are the first three blessings we see. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We see the next three blessings here. Blessing number four is we have redemption. We have redemption. Christ paid the price for our freedom. Redemption, Paul says, through his blood. There was a price that needed to be paid. For our freedom. Usually the word redemption means to, you know, to buy some, someone out of slavery or to free someone because you've paid a price. But maybe it's helpful for us to think about a ransom. Uh, in 1973, there was an Italian gang that kidnapped J. Paul Getty's grandson. You might know the name J. Paul Getty because at that point in time, he was the richest man in the entire world, billions of dollars. And they demanded that he would pay a ransom of $17 million, which to you and I is a lot of money, uh, to be honest. Uh, But to him, it's really just a drop in the bucket. And the surprising thing about this story, you can read about this, true story, is he refused to pay. He refused to pay. He wouldn't wouldn't pay to save uh, his grandson's life. And, you know, obviously, you know, his, his grandson's mom is furious and it creates this whole thing, right? And, uh, and eventually, five months later, uh, he decided to pay the ransom after they sent a severed ear from the grandson to him, right? So this is like a crazy story, and he dropped it. He's like, I'm not going to give you 17. He's like bargaining, like a true biz- oil tycoon businessman. 
he gives him $2.7 million, and he, his grandson shows up alive. And yet that story is really interesting to us because we think about maybe if you have kids or imagine that you have kids if you don't, like how much would you pay to free your kids if you had the money? I mean, to me, there's no price I wouldn't pay to free my children if it could save their lives. And I want you to understand that God is not like J. Paul Getty. He's not stingy. He's not, he's not unwilling to pay the price, but God is willing to pay the price even of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to save us and redeem us. And there's a cost to be paid. This is, this is not like the, the cheap grace that Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about, the, the grace where God just waves the magic wand. This is a costly grace. It cost Jesus his life on the cross. And God was willing to do that so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be freed. The fifth blessing is forgiveness. Forgiveness. God canceled our debt according to his riches. I love that. We have the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of God's grace. So it's one thing to, to reference you know, another uh, billionaire, uh, J.D. Rockefeller, uh, it, you know, he was also, but earlier in the 20th century, a oil tycoon and also the richest man in the world. Uh, he often would uh, be photographed on the street giving a penny to poor children, right? There's you know, a famous photo where he's handing a penny to this you know, little kid who's like, whoa, this is crazy. And, uh, and, and yet, he was giving out of his riches. It's one thing to give out of your riches. He gave a penny from the millions of dollars that he owned. But it's another thing to give a gift according to riches. See, if John Rockefeller were to give according to his riches, he would be giving that small child an automobile or giving that child a mansion, right? He would be giving these extravagant kinds of gifts. And so for us, it's important to understand the forgiveness we have is not just a penny from God. It's not, you know, the question that Peter asks, you know, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven, right? 77 times. Forgive, like, endlessly. Because that's the kind of forgiveness we have from God. We have God's grace according to his riches. He has lavished it and poured it out upon us. And we are truly blessed being able to experience the forgiveness from God. The sixth blessing here is wisdom. Wisdom means we are equipped to live as free people. We've been given all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So what that means for us to have wisdom is God didn't give us some uh, gift without showing us how to use it. Maybe you've received a gift or maybe you gave a gift to a relative and it was something electronic and they weren't really an electronic person, right? So you gave them a gift and they were, you know, smiled like, oh, thank you so much. And then six months later, you're like, how'd you like that thing, that iPad or, you know, that whatever? And they're like, oh, I haven't figured out how to turn it on yet, right? And it's like, oh, man, right? It's one thing to have a gift. It's another thing to have a gift and, and be equipped and empowered to actually use it. And that's really what the wisdom we have from God is. It's God gives us the wisdom not just to, be, to live, to, to have freedom, to have redemption, but to live as free people. It's what, one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is living in our lives. We have freedom from, not just forgiveness for, sin. And so God wants us and expects us to more and more in our lives every day, every year, to actually experience more freedom from, victory over sin and temptation in our lives. Those are six. Let's go ahead and wrap up with the seventh blessing. 
In Ephesians 1, 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The seventh blessing here is the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This means God is with us now and we will be with him forever. To be sealed means there's an ownership, right? That that God owns us now. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But what it also means is it's a down payment. It's like earnest money. Maybe if you've ever bought a house, and I was surprised by this when we bought our house uh, a number of years ago where they were like, all right, so here's you know, all the documents and we need money right now. And I was like, what, money right now? Don't we have this huge mortgage we're going to pay? You know, we haven't even paid the down payment. They're like, yeah, but we just want to make sure, the bank wanted to make sure that you're going to follow through on your end of the bargain. And that's really the Holy Spirit for us. Holy, the Holy Spirit, he's the first fruits. He's the earnest money. Uh, he is the down payment of future Glory, And he is a tangible way we experience God in our daily lives, in our prayer, in reading, even just listening to the Holy Spirit and walking by the Holy Spirit every day. We can experience God's presence now. And that's just a taste of what we will experience one day. We will be with God forever. And the beautiful thing about these last few verses is there's a promise that you can be blessed too. Notice uh, Paul switches the pronoun from we in the first 12 verses, to in 13 and 14, you also, you can be blessed too. And maybe for you, if you're listening to this, you're you're not someone who would describe yourself as being in Christ. You have not responded to the gospel. Today can be the day that you hear the gospel. So here's your action step today. If you want to experience these blessings, hear the gospel and put your faith in Jesus. The faith comes from hearing. And you need to hear the word of truth. And today, you've heard the blessings that are available in Christ, but the gospel message is simple. It's that Christ Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins on the cross. He rose again, and he can raise you up into a new life. But you must respond to that good news by putting your full faith, your full trust in Jesus. we got to believe the events of the gospel, but we also trust the person of Jesus Christ. And today can be the day that you receive those blessings where you are chosen and adopted, where you receive grace, redemption, and forgiveness, where you have the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God in your life to live as a free person every single day. But you've got to today receive the gospel and put your faith in Jesus. So today I would just invite you to pray a prayer asking God to forgive your sin and to lead your life and then to respond with a decision of baptism. That's the way Jesus instructed us to put our faith in him is by getting dunked under the water, showing you're dying to the old life, being raised back up into a new life in Christ. If you want to sign up for baptism, you can go to hillcityboise.org slash baptism. But for you, maybe today you've already made that declaration of faith and you are, you are in Christ, but you've lost touch with your blessings. You look around and all you see is the curse. All you see is the brokenness. Well, I want to remind you, by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are blessed. I mean, these blessings we've talked about are past, present, and future. You are blessed. Not just a little bit, but with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. You are blessed. And when we really think about it, and we remember, and we calculate our blessings in Christ, it does something to us. 
It changes us from the inside out. And we actually read this line three times. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. So here's what this means for us. Blessed people praise God. It's what we do. When we are blessed, we praise God, even if it's a sacrifice of praise, even if it's, you know, we're singing to God or we're praising God, even when it's difficult or where it's hard. And so would you, as someone who is in Christ and who's been blessed in all these ways, allow yourself to go deeper in blessing God. Allow your prayer life to be even a little bit less about asking God for things and more about just praising and giving glory and honor to God with your life. Would you be someone who emanates and radiates blessing to God that you can't help but talk about God's goodness with others? And even through song, I would say if you've been attending online still in this season, find ways to sing, find ways to worship, whether it's our worship playlist, or maybe you would even consider coming back to some of our in-person worship gatherings, that we would just find ways to still overflow and be passionate about worshiping God. That's the first action step is is blessed people praise God. And the next one is blessed people bless people. Blessed people turn around and they are then a blessing to others. This is like God's covenant with Abram in Genesis chapter 12, where God promises Abram, he's going to be, he's going to bless him. He's going to bless his family so that for the purpose that his family will bless all the nations of the earth. So the blessing is not just this this selfish thing. It's a good thing for us to consider the ways God has blessed us, not just to build up our ego, but but we consider our blessings so that we can be people who are not a drain on others. It's really difficult to love your neighbor as yourself if you really don't love yourself very well. It's really difficult to go and shine God's light if your own light is, is kind of dim. And so we need to remember our blessings in Christ. Blessed people will bless people. Uh, Maybe a a helpful illustration is we want to be like a battery, not like a vampire. We want to be a battery, not like a vampire. So a vampire walks around and, you know, down in the dumps and just sucks the life out of everyone, right? Because if you haven't experienced or or you're not feeling those blessings from God, you're going to look for trying to take blessings from others. You're going to look to try and get that stuff from others. But if you are, if you've been charged up, you're a fully charged battery, then you're going to walk around and the people you interact with, you're going to fill them up as well. You're going to charge them. You're going to supercharge them. You're going to be someone that people love to be around, where you are speaking words of encouragement. You are praying for people. You just, you radiate blessing. You look for ways to serve and help and love your neighbor and love your neighborhood. We want to be people who are profoundly blessed in Christ and we bless other people as well. And if you can't see your blessings, if you're having trouble experiencing and feeling the blessings that you have in Christ, keep looking at the resurrected Christ. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.